This is Two Jerks, One Vote, Jerkatorium reviewing songfight.org songwriting competition entries, and this time we're reviewing the Cemetery Island songfight with our special guest, Ken. Hi, I'm Chumpy, and this is the Jerk. Hi. Now here's how this thing works. We've won some fights enough that we think we know our stuff. We'll listen to your submission, subjected to our praise and our derision. I know that sounds unfair. But you're not obliged to care Yeah, you're gonna lose this song fight And yes, I'm talking to you Yeah, you're gonna lose this song fight Deep down inside you know that it's true Most of these bands are gonna lose When the song fight is done and your band's won And by your band's won, I don't mean your band's won With bands being a contraction of band has and won me Okay, so welcome to Two Jerks, One Vote. Uh, it's been a while since we've recorded a podcast, and uh, we're recording because we had a little bit of time, and we had this little window where we could sort of get our thoughts out, and it's kind of nice to to be back and recording again. Uh, I am the jerk, the Ryan uh, half of Jerkatorium, and uh, the other half is Chumpy. Say hi, Chumpy. Hello, everyone. Chumpy here. All right. And uh, do we have anything to talk about before we introduce our guest? Or I don't think so. Let's just launch into it. Okay. All right. Well, uh, this is the Cemetery Island podcast for Song Fight. And our guest is Ken. Ken is a member of Berkeley Social Scene and Ken's super duper band and stuff and Tiny Robots and Seamus Collective and Semolina Pilchards and Cutie Pies and Explino and Bravo Brothers and Two From Fourteen and Ken's uh, Super Choctathorpe and Ken's Super Duper Car and stuff and Swampy Nethers and Rocktronic and uh, I've missed probably another dozen or so, uh, maybe more. Of course, Berkeley Social Scene uh, has 290 songs in Song Fight, and that's not counting the spinoffs. Uh, Berkeley Social Scene themselves has 44 Song Fight wins. Uh, Ken Super Duper Band and stuff has eight Song Fight wins out, and 73 submissions. Uh, Seamus Collective has 12 songs with seven wins. Tiny Robots has seven songs with five wins. Uh, there's wins with Semolina Pilchards, Cutie Pies, Bravo Brothers, Two from Fourteen, and and more. Um, you know, without diving super deep, I found seventy song fight wins, seventy, yes. uh, and I'm sure a deeper dive would dig up several more. Uh, same with songs in general. Uh, at a glance, Ken is involved with well over four hundred songs in song fight under various names. <laughs> Um, also, shit. Berkeley Social Scene has won five <laughs> different Nurine rounds, and Ken, submitting separately, won three rounds on his own. Uh, Ken won Song Fight Live in 2020 and 2021 and 2022. <laughs> I'm getting tired of all this winning. Jesus. <laughs> it's got to be embarrassing at some point. But, uh, and then in previous years, it's, it was difficult for me to figure out. You've probably uh, won more Song Fight Lives than that, so I just kind of stopped trying to look. And as if that weren't enough, uh, in this song fight songwriting community, which is frankly overrun with hyper talented and nice people, 
Uh, Ken has a reputation of being an insanely talented and ridiculously nice uh, salt of the earth type of guy. Mm-hmm. So welcome, Ken. I know I missed a bunch of your bona fides because uh, there's just too many. But um, are there any that I missed that I should have mentioned? Uh, hi, guys. Thank you for having me, number one. And it's embarrassing when you say that stuff. When I say it, it sounds totally normal. <laughs> I talk about this crap all the time. Uh, which is to say, I don't keep track either. Um, other than to say, I'm pretty sure I'm the most submitted song fighter there is. Probably the most winningest. Um, mostly because I exploit my talented friends all the time. <laughs> um, and it's I, the, the biggest one you missed, of course, is the most recent, which is Yaks of the Industry, Elks of the Economy. Um, one of the many, many song fight super bands that I you know, put together, or at least encouraged to make happen. It's crazy when you when you try to figure it out. <laughs> yeah. And Yaks of the Industry has a wonderful percentage of wins too, right? Like a crazy win. Yeah. 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 Well, you put a put a bunch of people together that win pretty frequently and then you're probably going to win. It's not hard when you have, you know, JB on vocals and Mo writing music and Damien adding color and Sam and myself all just kind of putting our best ideas together with very little ego getting in the way of just doing what's best for the song. I would say 90% of winning song fight is having a good vocalist, yeah. you know, like look at, look at all the people who write great songs, but maybe don't have the best vocals who don't win as much as they probably should. Right. Someone, you know, I think the prime example of that, you know, with, with as much love as I can give him is Paco del Stinko, right? Mm-hmm. Someone who took 200, whatever songs to win, most of them very, very good. Oh, excellent. Yeah. Yeah. Right. But when you're up against, you know, someone like Aaron singing or someone like, um, you know, JB singing, you know, Glenn Case, right? You're just, you're never going to beat that unless your voice is that good. Yeah. Um, and I wouldn't put my, my own voice at that, <laughs> at that level either. Uh, maybe I just write a slightly better song once in a while. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think I think you kind of, uh, in comparison to Paco, is also uh, a wonderful comparison because you're both uh, crazy talented multi instrumentalists. Because I mean, you play everything, right? Yeah. Yeah. The other reason why it's easy to have a bunch of wins because you can play a bunch of different roles in the band, and you still get credit for the win whether you did everything or you did one thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm giving away all my secrets for anyone who wants to like. (laughs) Try to take my title. <laughs> good, good luck to you. Get into three, you know, get into three bands a week for a while and see what you can do. Yeah, yeah. All you have to do is uh, is be insanely talented and be able to play every instrument, and then uh, be able to submit to every song fight for a couple of decades, and you might be the next Ken. <laughs> <laughs> it takes. It does take a little bit of time. Uh, that's true, um, but. You know, like my <laughs> my idol is Patrick Clayton, right? I would like to do a fight where I'm in every single song of the fight, right? And I haven't achieved that yet. And I've got I've come close, but it's hard. You have to like reach out to a bunch of people and be like, "Hey, if you're gonna do a song this week, can I be a part of it?" Yeah, that's gotta be super difficult because a lot of people don't uh, submit their lyrics. A lot of people you don't know until until it's already there. Of course, I hear you have an in with the fight master, so you might. <laughs> <laughs> yeah you gotta you gotta go you gotta go to some song fight lives you gotta you gotta get to know people on the in, in, in the inner circle right um and that's also helpful 
right? When you can get a little bit of grace when you need it, like, hey, my song's running a little late. Or, I mean, also having, knowing enough people where, hey, this song isn't going to be complete without X, Y, or Z, and being able to pull someone in to do that. So, you know, so many of my solo songs, you know, Sam is playing on them, right? He's playing lead guitar. He's throwing the solo in there, so I don't have to struggle with something I don't do well, right? Or I can get Aaron to come over and, and sing some, oh, I mean, now that they're in Bend, it's a little harder, but, you know, I used to be able to get Aaron to walk two blocks to my house and sing some backup vocals. Nice. Right? So, so um, Sam, or, or, excuse me, Ken, you're primarily known as a drummer, right? Is that what you started with and then picked up other instruments, or did you begin on a different instrument? That's a great, great factoid. Well done. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, let's see. So I've just always wanted to play music my whole, whole life. Um, basically, I think whenever I saw the Partridge family as a child, I was like, that's what I want to do, like fix my troubled family by a song somehow. Um, <laughs> so I did have one guitar lesson when I was when I was five, when I was in kindergarten, played the clarinet for two years in school band. Uh, and then in the fifth grade, I started playing the drums. And yeah, that was my main instrument for uh, a long time. And um, played the drums in uh, elementary school, junior high school, high school, college. Um, and along the way, started to pick up all the other things that I really wanted to be doing, which is learning how to play guitar. You know, once you know how to play guitar, you kind of know how to play the bass. You know, you start picking up some piano. Once you kind of have all those basics, it's easy to start just hoarding anything you can get your hands on if you're someone who loves um, playing music the way that I do, and I'm sure the way that you do. Um, but so, yeah, I'm, you know, classically trained percussionist, uh, playing, play drums in a lot of bands, you know, a lot of uh, non-song fight bands along the way, um, especially as a drummer. Um, but always also wanted to be a singer-songwriter in my own right. So maybe it's the fact that I'm a Gemini, you know, this is a Glenn Case thing. Like, you like you when, when I met, when Glenn Case and I met each other, we're like, Oh, okay. This makes a lot of sense now. Like you sort of get that, like you're the kind of the same person. It's like you just love it so much. You want to do it so much. You just have this voracious appetite for listening, learning, thinking, remembering, right? Um, and Glenn is on a whole other level than I'll ever be. But um, you see, you get to see those similarities of what it means to really be passionate about, you know, about music and about being both someone who loves hearing other people's music and also, you know, contributing your own to the world. You've had a lot of involvement in the song fight lives uh, recently. I want to say you like produced, uh, what was it? 2020 or 2021. You were the MC. Um, you, of course you've won them all. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I'm sorry. All of that is true. Uh, so, Let's see, where do we go if we're talking about Songfight? Like, I found out about Songfight through some bandmates that I had when I first moved to Berkeley, California. I uh, graduated college in San Diego, I moved to Berkeley, started working at the university, and I met a couple of guys there. And they went to that first, second Songfight show in San Francisco. I didn't know about Songfight. But basically, they came back from that show and were like, this is the thing for you. <laughs> right? And I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. And then, then they're like, they, then they explain a little bit. I'm like, oh yeah, that is for me. <laughs> You're right. And it took me a while to like to to have enough recording gear at home to like, you know, you had to kind of build up. It was you know, early 2000s. Every computer did not come with GarageBand, right? You had to find like gear was not everywhere. You couldn't go to Best Buy and buy an interface and a microphone. Like, 
stuff was expensive. <laughs> it was hard to get. I was just starting out, you know, just my first jobs, you know, all that stuff. I still have still recording music on my four track, you know. So I got involved with Songfy with there. Um, and then Songfy Live came along up in Seattle, 2001, 2002. Um, and I think the only reason I really won is because I had happened to meet Blue Lang because he lived near me and had gone down to Palo Alto or wherever he was to visit his studio. And he's like, I'm going, you should go. And I think I even missed my flight. It was this whole nightmare, but I show up uh, to Seattle and uh, Spud picks me up and there's Fluffy um, and we're looking for Roymon. And it's like, you realize it's the internet. I have no idea what any of these people look like. We're trying to find some guy that we don't know his real name. We don't know. <laughs> like it was, it was a whole thing at the Seattle airport, the three of us, but it was a lovely time. Right. And it was, it was like summer camp. And I don't, I don't know. Did you guys go to summer camp when you were kids? Yeah. Like summer camp. Yeah. Right. And it's this very intense, like we're best friends for a week and then we'll never see <laughs> each other, you know? Uh, and song fight live was really, really like that. And uh, there were a couple of really, you know, touchstone moments for me where I, you know, we were hanging out in the old Octothorpe barn, which burned, you know, burned to the ground or something terrible like that. Um, but it's like, you know, I went in, I went record shopping with the Susie's, right? So three kids from Canada, I didn't know at all. Uh, you know, I went to the EMP with MC Frontalot and it was like, who is this guy who, you know, I didn't have any idea, right? But the point of my story was, <laughs> oh, Hoblet, <laughs> our good friend, Mr. Hoblet. So, I was staying with some friends and Songfight was going late and he had to go home and he had driven me. So he's like, let's drive back to my house and you can take my car and come back. So I did that. I went home, I came back to the show. And when I got back, Hoblet was distraught that he did not know where I was. Oh, <laughs> right. <laughs> and when he saw me and I was back, he's like, thank God you're here. Everything's like, and it was kind of that moment where I'm, I looked around the room like, oh, I, oh, I get it. It's summer camp. Okay. Yeah. Right. We have been spending you know, whatever it is this weekend together. And we are now all best friends. <laughs> that is right? so cool. And that's true. And 20, whatever years later, you know, all those folks, it's really great to see them. And, you know, the internet has gotten better over that time. So in some ways we feel closer because we can still, we're we're on Slack all day long, you know, every day chatting. And we've done all these song by lives every year. Um, and even for me, it took, a, I think it took a few years to move from like, oh, so all of these people were already friends and that's why they're in song five, right? John, J, right, JB, Frankie Big Face, uh, 1516 Puzzle, Pray for Mojo, right? All the, Jeff Fall, like all these guys who knew each other from college. I felt like an outsider because I'm like, oh, all these guys know each other already. I'm just some kid from California. Um, it took a few years of song five for me to realize, oh no, I'm like, it's fine. I can be, I can sit at the table with the big boys. Right. Um, and that's when you start to realize, oh, okay. I now understand who the fight master is. Oh, I understand how the titles are chosen. Right. And you just start to like, hear the stories of how things work behind the scenes. Then you kind of become part of them. So wait, you know how the titles are chosen? Can, can you elaborate on that? <laughs> yes, I do. And they're chosen by the fight master. The fight master loves suggestions, right? And that suggestion thread, I think there's even, there's a suggestion thread. Yeah, yeah. Times, right? It's not that they don't. Um, but Deep Throat is always a person or, or a collective of people, right? It's not some mystery. 
Um, and, you know, if you're lucky, like I was at one point, that was me. I got to ba play the deep throw role. So oh, that's there's a so whole cool. that you can blame me for. <laughs> um, <laughs> what, what is and, your favorite title out of that out of that role? Oh, I, well, I, honestly, I don't even remember. This is how, this is how bad it is. <laughs> this and me, when you do so much, right? When you write so many songs, you do all this stuff. But for a while, the way that I, I would always send the Fight Master two titles, because I didn't want anyone to think that I knew what the title was ahead of time. Right, like I also have a lot of integrity when it comes to song <laughs> Even though your earlier point that yes, I'm friends with the fight master does have some benefits. <laughs> um, but I have a lot of integrity. So I would always send fight master two titles so that they could choose one or the other. Um, and without saying who was doing it at the time, uh, I was basically taking things their wife had posted to social media and making titles out of them. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and that's where a bunch of our titles came from for a while. Wow. Oh my gosh. Now I'm trying I'm trying to to parse out which ones. I'm gonna go through that list. <laughs> and see see if you can if you can corroborate anything. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, uh, none of that really quite explains my involvement with putting on the song by life. So um I have a long uh DIY history, right? So, you know, I was playing in bands in the nineties and you know, recording our own records and putting them out ourselves and putting on shows. So I knew how to do all that stuff. And when I realized like Songfight Live was fun, but it was only happening once a year, um, I just started putting on a bunch of shows in the city. There were enough of us here in the Bay Area where we could put on a Songfight sort of show. And so basically I created Songfight Presents because it wasn't Songfight Live, right? And it was just a time where it was easy to have my, you know, Ken's Super Duper Band and stuff, right? Ken, Ken and the New Incredibles, uh, Son of Supercar, DeBose Triangle, and everything that kind of spreads off from that. And we had just enough cachet where people would come in from out of town. So Pray for Mojo was come, you know, adjuster, the, the landfills, right? And we could just, we had enough people where if nobody else came, there was still a show. And if a couple more people came from out of town, all the better. And so I would just look for places where we can put on shows and, you know, got in touch with the, with the accordion space, which is the space that that first song fight show in the city had taken and it was just worth it to me to pay a couple hundred dollars to rent the venue for the night. We had all the gear and we would just kind of advertise. And even if nobody came, if it was just us, you know, one of the nice things about Songfight Live is that when you have a dozen bands, you have enough crowd there that you don't need outsiders to show up, right? You, you have this kind of built-in audience. So we did those shows for whatever, a couple of years, and they were really fun. And then it just kind of became like, look, I know how to put on a show. I have all the gear. I've done this before. You know, we were happy to volunteer to do it here. Uh, organizing the Song Fight Tour that one year was really fun, um, where we kind of did a bunch of shows on the West Coast in sequence, right? And the whole idea was really that it would just keep going around the country, that song fighters across the country would would put the next one on and like add on, and it could just go on forever, this like never-ending Song Fight Tour. And that's also just part of, you know, it's cool to meet people, right? Like. And it's, it's, you know, now look at us, we're just sitting here on a video call chatting. 20 years ago, you couldn't do that. To meet someone, you had to see them in person, right? Um, yeah. So the, it, there's a bit of like old schoolness to it, but definitely for a while, because I'd gone to so many Song Fight Lives, because we'd invited so many people to come uh, to California. And, and in fact, I think that Song Fight Presents show was probably most inspired because the Susies came to town on tour and couldn't find a venue in the Bay Area. So I threw a house party and had to play in my oh, house. Cool. Uh, 
And then, you know, my band played, and I think we pulled somebody, I know Spud came, and Roymond showed up. Like, he just happened to be in town that day. He came up to my house. Um, and I think that was kind of the genesis of, like, oh, wait, we could just put on shows anytime. Wow. So all of these things kind of built one one on top of the other. Um, and I did. I totally felt like mayor of Songfight Town for quite a while because I just I had met most more people than most people had met because I'd gone to so many things. Yeah. Um, but I mean, that, I, does that answer your question I, in any way? Oh, sure. Yeah, that and more. Um, I'd like to kind of also assert that, you know, in, in my own experience, I think that's that sort of a feeling is continuing that a lot of this is very accessible. Uh, if you, you know, especially if you've already done a couple of song fights and or neurons or something, if you're kind of out there and you kind of get the hang of song fight, you can almost immediately reach out to people to collaborate. Uh, you know, you can attend and perform at song fight and you'll have the support of this big community. And uh, I mean, it, I, I don't want to make it sound like it's a, it's more, organized than it is but it is sort of i mean we have the song fight bulletin board to help people get organized but also it's pretty casual and very friendly and um and very collaborative so yeah i mean just in in our own experiences in you know we've only been at it submitting songs for about five years or so i know you've been at it for more than 20 um but still nothing has changed all that much that way uh from, course, from what i understand it didn't used to be all that friendly like is friendliness <laughs> a relatively new thing <laughs> i i think you're you're right in a lot of ways because it's less anonymous now right when song fight started it was very anonymous you couldn't figure out who somebody was you couldn't look at their facebook profile they were a random name on an internet board and that's it and you you know you turn on your dial-up and went on this board <laughs> right and people i think we're we're more eager to tear people down both both to be helpful and not right and i i would like to think that song fight is the way it is now because the people who didn't want to tear people down just because being a troll on the internet was easier are gone right the people who let who stayed are the people who actually like being part of this and want to be helpful to people even if that means being critical at times and you know, let's get to listening to these songs and we'll show people how to <laughs> be the, the nicest guy on song fight and still talk about how shitty their songs are. Uh, one, one thing I did uh, just think of while you were saying, while you guys were talking is, I think the other thing that worked in my favor, um, which goes back to how this conversation started, is that there weren't a lot of drummers in the song fight community, right? It's mostly some guys in their bedroom who can sort of play guitar. Uh, you build a lot of goodwill when you learn people's songs and make them look good uh, on stage when it's you know second time on stage, right? All right. Um, is there anything else you want to just generally chat about before we launch into the reviews? Uh, I should warn you. Yeah. We have we have a listenership in the high single digits. So <laughs> I mean, my mom will definitely listen to this. Uh, okay. <laughs> Uh, which is also how I won my first song fight. Um, <laughs> Mom flooding. I just love that my mother thought that she, if she voted for me a thousand times, it would make a difference. <laughs> <laughs> and I think she was a little crestfallen when she found found out that that's, that's not how the voting works. <laughs> oh, th nice try though, mom. 
Nice try. My mother is very, very supportive of being a musician and just loves it so much. So I think she was really excited that I was in a contest that I could win. (laughs) (laughs) Not knowing, but yeah, you definitely, I don't know, you guys, you all must have won a few times at least. You understand that eventually it it can't be about that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's mostly I think about making songs. Well, well, here's something we could talk about. I mean, for for us mostly, it's making songs that we're happy with and that we want to listen to ourselves and things like that. But uh, after 400 songs, does it get to the point where it's a bit of an assembly line for you, or uh, is it uh, does it is it some weeks it's like that, and but other weeks it's genius and inspiring, or how, how does how does that go for you? It becomes craft for me. It's more about craft than art in a lot of ways because Songfight's just a great practice of making music, right? Of course, you always try your best, but you're going to be more or less inspired in a particular week. Mm-hmm. So the times when you're inspired and you write a song and you're wondering where that song came from, that's fantastic. Equally good is the times where you are sitting there banging your head against the wall like, I'm not getting up from this computer until there's a song. Um, and both have value to me. So that's part of why I can do so many songs because I don't mind writing three sets of lyrics in a week. Part of it is 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 habit, right? We Berkeley Social Scene meets every week. And we have a we have time set aside to do this thing, to play yeah. some fight. Um yeah. do it. And some ways it's it's it can be a little repetitious, but you know, we also it's a good time to hang out with our friends. We make something up. Some weeks it's great. Sometimes it's good. Sometimes not so good. I, I don't know. Um, okay. Is is it weird to, to say like music is pizza for me? Like it's usually always pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good analogy. No, that's good. I mean, like, you know, you, you can sort of take it the way that, you know, some authors do it. You know, there's authors that, you know, get up at seven and write from eight to noon and that's their thing. And whether they're inspired or not, they sit in front of that typewriter and do stuff. And if you're, if, you know, if you and your compatriots, uh, you know, meet or collaborate on Tuesdays or whatever you have your uh, recording space and you have an appointment to do that, then you're going to generate something, whether or not you're inspired, then that, uh, that's also kind of the same sort of a deal, I think. Yeah. And that's the nice thing about having collaborators, right? You don't always have to be the one who's inspired. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, great. Should we move on to the reviews? Let's do it. Okay. You long. All right. A lot of our previous podcasts have been a little Berkeley social scene heavy, so we're just going to skip them. <laughs> Uh, no, I'm kidding. We're we're going to go in reverse alphabetical order just so that we can end up with uh, uh, Berkeley's social scene in Trichatorium. But that means that uh, we're going to start out with Rectum with their version of Cemetery Island. Can't buy a ticket to this island vacation unless you catch the latest zombie
I'm actually not super familiar with Rectum, not having been around quite as long as Ken. But to me, it sounds like a blues singer got a gig in a sludge rock band. So it's it's kind of an interesting <laughs> sort of mix of styles there. Um, one of the things I noticed about this tune is that the chorus vocals actually lose a bit of energy when the singer is singing in a higher register. I think she's um, a lot more comfortable singing a little bit lower. Um, and it's just, you know, in the chorus, oftentimes the vocals get high, and that's where we lost some of that energy. And that's sort of the opposite of what you want to happen. I think I would have tried to either like somehow make the chorus sound bigger or the vocals sound bigger with either more volumes or more tracks or something. Um, and there's also, you know, spots where the timing is a bit loose and the vocal pitches are not quite as confident as you'd want them to be, which makes it a little bit unpolished. Um, but like, I think it has some good atmospherics. I, I really like the guitar sounds in this. It's like, I think, it sounds like the guitar is being played through an amp going through a garden hose or something. It's got this vesuvula sort of sound to it, which I think sounds really cool. I like the sludgy sound of it. Um, and, you know, I've heard enough rectum tracks. This this sounds right in their wheelhouse. I think that guitar thing, I'm, I'm not sure, but it sounds kind of like a, I want to say like a, a wah pedal that's just not being used you know it's like a, a set on a very specific kind of a, a tone so it gives it that you know plate in a tube sort of a, a, a sound but um, I think you know if if memory serves I think rectum uh, I, I feel like they evolved from something that was maybe a little looser uh, if that makes any sense like if, if I remember right a, a lot of their older songs were maybe a little bit more uh, experimental, yeah. uh, maybe a little bit more noisy or something like yes. that. And yeah, and they've, yeah. Mm. and they've been tightening up. So they're, uh, you know, uh, I, whether or not you think that's a good thing, uh, it's, it's up to you. So this is tight for rectum is what you're saying. Absolutely. <laughs> tight rectum. Got it. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. Keep that in. Uh, I agree with a lot of what you've said. Um, this this song particularly reminds me of something I say sometimes, which is, this sounds like a bunch of musicians playing at the same time, but not playing together, mm. right? So almost like um, how Sonic Youth would record not listening to one another and then see what happens when you pile the things on top of each other. Because this, your description of a sledge rock band with a blues singer is totally apt. And I think you hear that the vocals have a swing to them that the rest of the song doesn't. And that pulls me out a little bit and makes it hard for me to really enjoy. And I also agree, uh, the chorus could be bigger. They could have put in a bit more arrangement, but the two elements separately are pretty good, right? Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I thought it was solid blues rock and I, I admire a good lead vocal performance and that was here. I think the... Um, like, like you were mentioning, the chorus vocals, especially at the end. I didn't notice it so much on the first choruses, but at the very end, I thought the, the vocals got way too quiet during the final chorus. Um, and uh, I also, I like the tone on that bass guitar, which might just mean that the bass guitar is mixed too loud. Because, uh, <laughs> I, you know, I, I started out as a, as a bassist, and it's sort of, 
if if I like it and if I can hear it and it's nice and clear and I enjoy it, then that probably means it's just too loud in the mix. But yeah, uh, all in all, yeah, I don't I don't know why. I mean, there's nothing specifically wrong with the song that I can point to, except maybe I just am not all that fond of uh, blues rock like this. But it it didn't really do it for me. Um, and I'm kind of mentioning that because. When it comes to the songs that I'm voting for, I usually vote for uh, less than half uh, in any given uh, fight. But this time around, it's going to be more than half, but I don't think it's going to be this song. And I shouldn't say that. I should be honest. I should say I, I already voted. So I think we all already the, voted, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, this is one of the few I didn't vote for. Same here. Next up, we've got Our Mosquito. Now, how did I not know that Rev from Ujin and Rev was our mosquito? Uh, you know, I've been an our mosquito fan for years, and I've had our mosquitoes. I wish I was so sure on my playlists for almost twenty years now, or eighteen years, or whatever it is. And you know, whenever I see uh, our mosquito as song fight submitters, it makes me happy because I know I'm in for you know a treat. Um, and but you know, Ujin and Rev has kind of come onto the scene uh in i want to say spin tunes and also in song fight and and maybe in um uh, Nurine and they've made a you know a real impression on me i know I've, I've enjoyed their stuff a lot and i just have no idea how i didn't realize that uh this, this was also our mosquito um so i'm very biased <laughs> i'm gonna say that right away but uh you know this song i thought it's you know it's kind of scratchy lo-fi techno uh, but I thought it was a lot of fun. Uh, I thought it had a strong melody. Um, and uh, the instrumentation, you know, it is what it is. And it's effective in, you know, setting its mood and its sound. And I'll admit that it sounds buzzy and fuzzy. And, and I'll leave that up to sort of Chumpy to tell whether it's clipping or not. But, uh, you know, I still downloaded it and I added it to my playlist because I like it a lot and definitely voted for it. Yeah, I didn't check to see if it was clipping. Um, I thought it had this really great goth industrial vibe going on, which I think is a good choice for a spooky fight. Um, mm. I, I thought the synths sounded like dirty and clanky, and there's this cool like sort of white noise sound, which reminds me of hissing steam, which I think really works with that whole industrial vibe. And um, Rev can sound like dark and brooding, which I think is perfect for the sound he's going for. Um, I, I like this track. I was a little bit worried that I was going to get tired of the groove as the song progressed, but like there are little tiny change-ups here and there, which sort of keep my ear interested and don't like um, don't tire me out. So I, I like this song and I voted for it. Um, I, and I understand that Rev actually has some, 
you know, hand-built synthesizers that he used for this into a tape machine. So maybe that's, you know, and clipping a tape machine, I guess, is something you want to do to get some of that analog distortion everybody's going on about. So the fuzz might have been just a tape? Yeah, I think he recorded directly to tape. What a maniac. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> some people are into that whole retro thing. Bonkers. I mean, that's super cool. I wouldn't... I wouldn't have thought of that, but I'm glad that you knew that that factoid. Um, yeah, I agree that the the four on the floor is is repetitive, but it's good. Um, I like the fuzziness of it, especially kind of the distortion on the drums, the snare, and then the kind of low. I don't know. Are you? Would you call them like Euro vocals? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, like Bauhaus, right? Yeah, like yeah, exactly. Like sort of gothy, but sort of pop all at the same time. Like this could be easily, there could be a bunch of like really morose people in black, barely moving, <laughs> or you could have like a full club just like banging on it. I, I'm not sure. I think it'll do both. Yeah. And uh, we I, we haven't really addressed the uh, the spooky factor, and probably we should be saying, you know, does it doesn't meet the spooky criteria? And I I think this does because I think you have this gothy dance club vibe. Yeah, which yeah. is scary as hell. And with Damon Albin in the uh, in the Harry Potter movies. Wait, what? You know, Damon Almarn is in that, like, the band in Harry Potter when they do the dances. That's <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, whoosh. I, yeah, oh, okay. I haven't seen a lot of the Harry Potter movies. Oh, okay. Well, this this could be one of those songs. Okay. Right. We're, we're like, we're, we're good Christian wizards, but it's kind of a weird gothy <laughs> skeleton band. Good Christian <laughs> wizards is a great band name. <laughs> that is. Yeah. <laughs> Take note, Ryan. We're gonna use that. It's, it's the Christmas ball, and there's like a bunch of ghouls <laughs> playing in a, playing in the band, <laughs> playing techno music for the dance. Nice. Okay, gotcha. <laughs> the other thing that's a possibility is that this might be goofing. This might be weird owling, you know, for a a, a sound. You know, it doesn't sound a lot like other our mosquito stuff. Um, so he might just be making fun of this whole genre. Uh, but I don't know. On the other hand, if, uh, you know, given what Chumpy said uh, about his uh, homemade synthesizers and everything, maybe he just wanted to do this and and made strong choices on an effective delivery of the vocals. Yeah, yeah. And in a full embrace of the optional challenge, right? This is definitely, it's not grungy in terms of, 90s nirvana grunge it's grungy in terms of it's distorted yeah yep and uh, i think uh either last well it probably wasn't last halloween but maybe a few halloweens ago there was also um an optional challenge to make a spooky song and i was bemoaning during that podcast that it tended to just make people do plotting songs in a minor key that uh that were boring and uh and I don't know, and just morose and uh, harder to listen to. Uh, but this time around, I don't think that's the case. I know we got a lot of spooky songs, and we'll listen to a lot more of them now coming up and review them. But um, but yeah, much like this one, I, I think that uh, that overall people did better with the spooky challenge. For sure. Next up, we have Paco del Stinko. Woo! Ooh, Paco! Up to the top of the hill 
mean, Paco just brings his usual amazing rock and roll. You know, I just, he's such a great guitar player. Right. And when you, when you think, oh, Paco's such a great guitar player, then you forget, oh, he's also playing everything else. And that is also very, very good. Um, and I think this is one of those songs where his talents work to his advantage. <laughs> and he just really has this kind of um, melodramatic delivery that fits with the title and fits with the challenge and the time of year. Absolutely. Absolutely. 100%. Yeah. And, you know, not only is he a great guitar player, but he is a great guitar producer. Like that um, 70s Jethro Tull-style folk rock acoustic guitar just sounds amazing. And he, I love his crunch tone. Like it's really full and heavy, and he layers on these harmonized lead lines. It just sounds just epic. And, uh, yeah, just he, he just makes guitars sound fantastic. I understand he has, like... You know, an amp that's in the isolation booth and he's got it mic'd up. Like, he does all those old school recording tricks for making guitars sound epic, and it totally works. I think you, you're making a great point. The production, right? The, the production choices of when to use which guitar on this track are very tasteful and well done. Yeah. Yeah. I thought, you know, that intro classical guitar sounds lovely and that lovely guitar to hard rock transition, you know, that's a trope, but it works in this song and it's really effective and I buy it a hundred percent, you know, and I, maybe especially since it goes back to that acoustic soon enough, you know, kind of moving it away from the trope territory and into, you know, re just really good incorporation kind of territory. And then of course, at the end, that, that theremin. <laughs> I, I know it's right? so it, it's so awesome and i remember uh, before when he'd used the theremin maybe in uh uh was it um uh praying mantis uh or something like that he's uh, yeah it was he one won. of the other songs that was a, that was another like spooky song right yeah but he, he used a theremin and i said something like I hope that isn't a real theremin because if it is, then I'm going to have to go out and buy one myself. And he replied, off to the theremin store with you then. <laughs> <laughs> we still don't have a theremin, Ryan, just to remind yeah. you. Okay. All right. All right. Time to get on. Don't be, the holidays are coming up. That seems like it's on you. Yeah. yeah, I'll yeah go, that would I'll be go a great the gift. I'll go off to the theremin district and get myself a theremin. <laughs> uh, yeah. Thereman's theremin's theremin's. <laughs> you, know, you know, Ken, you mentioned that sometimes his vocals are a little bit over the top. And I've complained about that before. Like, maybe it's a little over the top for the song. But in this case, he, he nails it. It's just right. I mean, yep. he's, he's singing about, like, being you know, stranded on this creepy cemetery island. And, you know, the amount of angst in his voice is just perfect. It's the right amount of drama for the song, and it totally works. Yeah. Great. Yep. Yeah. Great song. Not a catchy ditty, though. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, I mean, I love, okay, so I love the song, but I also need to admit that it sounds like something midway through a concept album, you know, like, yeah. like the last yes. song on side one of a rock opera record. Um, it's and, prog rock for sure. Yeah. But, yeah. you know, I, I love it, and I'm dying to hear the rest of this rock opera. <laughs> but, yeah. I mean, now that you've said it, he will do it. 
<laughs> this is 100% I don't know. We've been, we've been asking for it for a long, long time. We still haven't got his uh, his musical yet. So I don't know. We'll have to. Uh, the song master, uh, the song fight master, will have to uh, release a string of all interrelated uh, titles, <laughs> and then you can battle it out on the rock operas. Hmm. How can we make that happen? Uh, hey, you might want to do it in like Nurine or something. Opera fight. Do it in spin tunes. Yeah. Like what if we did like a Nurine and it was all songs that were or were not about you too? <laughs> I'm sorry. That's an inside joke. So. Oh. I mean, I love the idea that you, to, to run a side fight that is thematic in some way, right? Like yeah. it, it's concept album fight. We, you know, we're going to have whatever six titles. We expect you to tell a story through those titles. Like minimum yeah. of thirty minutes. Well, vowel sounds per song. <laughs> per side, maybe I per don't know. So- oh, per side, so- thirty minutes. That's <laughs> That'd be great. Like twenty-one no, but- twelve, I think is thirty minutes a side, roughly, right? I mean, that sure is my go-to mental model for rock opera that I like. Oh. Yeah. Well, um, but vowel sounds did that. Yeah, they totally did with that. Nurine. Yeah, and that that yeah. those were not. Uh, purposefully interrelated titles so it can just sort of be done if somebody wants to say well i'm going to do a rock opera and i'm going to use the next uh eight uh song fight titles to determine the uh, i mean come to think of it if you use the um brian gray stuff too yeah the glebal verse right glebal yeah. verse yeah. from spin teens what oh okay uh, sorry it's a uh, it he he sort of did one song about uh alien called glebal glorp um who destroys the the earth for the glory of glebal glorp that's right that's right and then he couldn't stop making songs about the glebal verse and uh (laughs) and they are so ham-handedly you know sort of pushed into these song titles anyhow it's uh but but yeah okay it's it's being done uh on one level or another by various people but but yeah we need to maybe have a lot more people sort of doing it as a part of a uh, their own rock operas. Okay, so that's a call out. Uh, do your rock operas, folks. It's time. Right, and then these and two chumps will uh, podcast about it. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, there's there's your there's what you earn. <laughs> and you can uh, you know, turn all of your friends to this uh, podcast station where we'll have a great turnout. I'm sure uh, the listenership will. We'll double to 10. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We'll get more and more specialized. All right. Anyhow, okay, well, well, let's move on. Yeah, next up we've got Neurotypes A Million ACC Zero. What do you think that end of the band name is? Axe Zero? I have no idea. It sounds sounds nerdy, though. Is the capitalized A like mean something? Not to me. Yeah, it's not lightning ear just... fart though, because it's not like you know, thirty minutes. Yeah. It's not like thirty Purposely minutes long. Grading. Yeah. Yeah. It's. A, I guess I would describe it as sound collage. That, yep. that would be what I'd go for. And and a sound collage, it's it's still not really interesting. Like I feel like maybe there could have been more varied sounds, and this is just a little bit one note. Although it is as a bonus under a minute, which I think it would be great if we could keep our discussion of the song too. Oh, that would be awesome. <laughs> 
Yeah, I agree. Not interesting. Bad mixing and mastering. Um, I'm going to further accuse them of just nominal effort. It's like a toss salad of poorly recorded and poorly presented claptrap with Cemetery <laughs> Island thrown in to meet the title requirement. I just, I, I, I just couldn't stand it. You're giving claptrap a bad name, dude. Oh, <laughs> is claptrap a, a, a new genre of song? Like trap no, music? it should be. It should be. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Ken, you have anything yeah, I to add? I don't think I have anything to add. Uh, definitely, you know, it's a sound collage, which is great. I think that's a fine way to enter Songfight if that's where your talent lies. But this one doesn't uh, win the win the challenge for me. It doesn't win the fight in any way. Yeah. Uh, I mean, hope I, that these folks I mean, continue to try. Yeah. It, it's no I mean, negative land for is what I'll say. <laughs> still voted for them? No, I'm, that's <laughs> true. I'm sorry. <laughs> okay. All right. Next up, the Melfire Trifecta. Is that right? Melfire? Yeah, I think you did. Okay. That's right. Where's right. Melfire? Oh, yeah. It's like Hellfire, but Melfire, right? Okay. Sounds good. Maybe um, someone's name is Mel? Oh. Yeah, because like I, I think it's Melly P on the boards. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, maybe it's a Melvin or something. I don't know. Anyhow, uh, this was a very interesting song because it's. I was wondering how they made four four sound so awkward. I, yes. I, I, I mean, I like yes. it a lot, but it sounds like they're shifting between like five four and seven eight, but but they aren't. You know, right. uh, it's like there's all of the benefit of four four with none of the flow. Um, the extraneous kind of piano intro I think is uh, six eight. But then the rest is in 4-4 except the very end of the chorus, which switches to 5-4 for just five measures. Um, I, and I don't quite get it, but it seems kind of brilliant. Uh, it's sort of to the detriment of the groove of the song. But uh, all in all, you know, the performance is great. Uh, the instruments sound good. The singer has a wonderful voice. And the lyrics are good, too, if kind of somewhat unresolved. Uh, but you know, the other, I, I think resolutions aren't really necessary in lyrics. You know, uh, like I've said before, we don't need to know whether or not Mick Jagger gets any satisfaction. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's it, it, it's fine. Don't leave me hanging, uh, man. Yeah, or if the satisfaction was inside him all along. Um, <laughs> but but for this, this all in all, it's a it's a good weird song. I totally back you up on the the snare drum through me as well especially i think as a drummer this strikes me as a song I, I hear a lot of these sometimes where i think when there's a cover fight and this song gets covered it's gonna sound so much better in the like the 
the greatness of the song will shine through. Like there's too many layers. It got it got the song got in its own way. Where if it was a little bit more straightforward, it would probably be a contender for the win. But because they tried to do maybe a little too much, uh, it actually takes it down a couple of pegs for me. Yeah. Well, you're you're the drummer, uh, among other things. But uh, so, do you did you get any idea of what was going on there that made it sound so kind of, uh, you know, stilted? Uh, stilted isn't the right word. Because, no, stilted is the right word. I have it in my notes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> like, and I, I think right. I think it's probably because the vocals and the verses are landing like super precisely on beats. And uh, I just think a more relaxed delivery would have helped a little bit. Like they don't need to be just so on the beat. But yeah. are the but also those beats like the the stressed, you know, the, the snare like like Ken was mentioning is is like I, I I was kind of trying to to parse it out, and I was wondering if um, the 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 song of course is four four, but if you were gonna play drums as if it were three four or five four, then it would only you know, uh, sink back in line in the uh, common denominator of the beats. <laughs> so I was kind of wondering if that was what was causing it, even though it's still obviously 4-4 throughout most of the song. But did did you have any take on that, Ken? I, I mean, much like you, I, I thought the song was in 6-8. Like, I was hearing a 3. Did you kind of uh -huh. get 1, 2, 3, 1, 2, 3 on the snare? Um, but then when I counted it, I'm like, oh, wait, no, it's still in four, at least most of the time. Yeah. So, I, I mean, look, I play in a band full of guys who like to do weird stuff. Um, <laughs> so I, my tolerance for this is probably a little bit higher than most people's, but I also want it to, to add, not to distract. And I find that in this song that it's distracting. It's, it's not adding to the to the coolness in some way. It's doing what it's what exactly we're talking about. It pulls you out of the song because you're trying to figure out what's wrong with it. Yeah. Or no, yeah. what's distracting about it? What? What? Yeah. What? What's making it sound like it's not four four? Yeah. And, yeah. and also and a, not an otherwise lovely, you know, lovely, you know, almost twee song. Yeah. Like it reminded me more of Jimmy Buffett than something sort of scary. Um, yeah, I guess that's the whole island sound. Oh yeah, definitely not spooky, not grungy. Maybe the drums are the grunge part. I, I don't know. Uh, the the lyrics the uh, were a little spooky. I mean, if I remember right, they kind of describe a a boat trying to find a place to land. And well, I don't know. Maybe that isn't spooky. The vocals, I think, uh, are some of the best part. The acoustic guitars also sound gorgeous. It's got sort yeah. of a nice sort of seventy sound to it. Um, uh, did you notice the backing vocals on the chorus, Ryan? They sound just gorgeous. They're oh, yeah. like perfectly placed. Yeah, yeah. No, it's it's. I again, I think the the instruments sounded great. The lyrics, the vocals sounded great. The the lead vocals are are wonderful. Yeah, yeah Melly can definitely sing. All right. Well, having said that, should we move on to the magnetic letters? Yes. Hieronymus Connolly's just a naughty man Before we string him up we'll chop off his hands With a chisel and hammer on Cemetery Island You know how we know he's a naughty man His arms and legs poking out of the sand Those who survived tell a tale most foul of heresy, betrayal and murder 
Christ of the banner of the VOC. What's a nigga blood spilled in the name of this glorious company? The crabs will make sure of work, but the blowflies leave behind on Cemetery Island. Did you guys Google Geronimus Cornelius? I did. I did that whole rabbit hole. The whole Wikipedia rat- rabbit hole? That is one scary fucking story. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's a nightmare. And then um, I think Wikipedia didn't have a... Um, an entry for what is it, Jan Pegram? Yeah, but yeah. I did. I did find that in uh, some Australian history uh, website, so I got that. Too. That was like the second or the final verse or something. I think he was mentioned. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, this is a pirate shanty. Is that right? Yeah, <laughs> it's definitely got a shanty sort of sound to it. Um, and one thing I I definitely noticed is like right at the beginning, like what. I would normally hear is a kick drum sounds like a hammer, like hammering like wood, which, you know, Ooh. makes me think of them building a gallows to hang our man Geronimus. Spooky. That's interesting because I definitely, the first, well, not the first line, but the first stanza, right? Chop off his hands with a chisel and a hammer. Yep. Just like, you know, talk about show don't tell in your lyrics. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> That's what they literally did. Yeah, yeah, that's 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 in Wikipedia too. <laughs> Ryan, do you <laughs> want to stuff. summarize the Wikipedia page, or shall I? Uh, why don't you? Because I I didn't actually do that. I just kind of you know, <laughs> I, I mentioned I mentioned that I found out what that is, and I found out what VOC is and stuff like yeah. that. But I didn't didn't. I'll go see if I can make this quick. Here. But uh, Geronimus Cornelius, if I'm pronouncing that right, he led a mutiny. When the ship he was on, it was a Dutch East India vessel in like the 1600s. Like this big Dutch merchant ship with like a full crew of like 300 people, including passengers and women and children and, you know, soldiers and the crew and all of that stuff. He was an apothecary on board this ship. So not an officer, but like he had some status as, you know, being a a person who sells stuff, I guess, on a merchant ship. And um, what happened is this merchant ship off the west coast of Australia ran aground on a reef and the ship broke up and um, like a bunch of people drowned when the ship sort of broke up. But most of the 400 survivors made it off the ship into boats and onto nearby islands. And um, what became clear shortly after the they landed on these islands is that there wasn't enough food and water to keep everyone alive for a long time. And uh, a few folks started dropping dead from dehydration. The officers and the captain, around 40 people, they got into one of the surviving boats and they were like, hey, we're going to go look for water. And they fucked off to Java, uh, which apparently <laughs> took about a month in that boat. And they didn't tell anybody. They just took off. They like took some supplies with them, said they were going to go look for water and took off. And after that happened, Geronimus became the sort of de facto leader. And he and his henchmen solved the problem of not enough supplies by essentially murdering over 120 of the survivors. 
And uh, then when the captain returned a month later to, for, with a new boat, like from Java, to rescue the survivors, some of them who managed to escape his reign of terror and fled to nearby islands were able to warn the returning captain about Geronimus. They immediately put him on trial, built some gallows, and uh, he was hanged for mutiny, you know, after they cut off his hands. And they, I think they also hung some of his hench people. Creepy, creepy story. Yeah. And then the uh, Jan Pegram was one of his uh, minions who wasn't hanged, but was instead marooned uh, on purpose in southwest Australia in 1629. And that... Um, that I think they are calling the first sort of incursion of Europeans into Australia. I could be wrong about that, but that's kind of the impression that I got that uh, that was historic in that the first Europeans in Australia might have been these people who were purposefully marooned yeah. in this one hmm. you know area of uh, Australia. So, yeah. Wow. Okay. Well, I might have to go back and reconsider the song. <laughs> knowing all that I know now you know and if I didn't and like there's like in the chorus they talk about the VOC which is just shorthand for the Dutch East India Company like I, VOC spells something in Dutch that makes more sense you know if I hadn't have like googled this and read the Wikipedia article I would have gone oh it's a sea shanty and some of the instruments sound kind of synthy and cheesy but overall it's pretty good but yeah, there's a lot more to it than that. I think the magnetic letters here pretty much win on concept because this was yeah. this was a chilling, spooky Wikipedia read. Yeah, but on the other hand, I mean, we also got to acknowledge that everything except the lead vocal line sounds distractingly fake. Yeah, a lot uh, of fake. The fake accordion, the fake drums, the fake high harmony vocal, <laughs> the fake sounding oh, horns. And right, yes. It's it's still a good sort of buildup in, of instrumentation, and uh, you know, like uh, in in terms of the composition, I like it because just when I need some variety in the song, it's it's provided with very interesting modulations and everything. But but those, and uh, we we've said it before, you know, you, you folks out there, you have a full week and an unlimited budget, you could get. <laughs> you know <laughs> real horns a real horn section hire an accordionist yeah yeah you could, fiber uh, you can just yeah hire all those yeah. people you could just call up ken his prices are very reasonable <laughs> Get a real drummer yeah his yeah. his phone number's in the show notes <laughs> definitely needed more more drums right hand out right that could have really built in a way that that brought the song to a bigger crescendo yeah you could use a, a chisel as a <laughs> percussion. I mean, it was well arranged. Like, I, I think they spent a lot of time arranging it and making it, like, all the parts mesh well together. But, yeah. yeah. I mean, there's got to be, like, some synth packs you can buy for a few hundred dollars that have better sounding instruments. Yeah. Well, I mean, just GarageBand has better sounding instruments. <laughs> yeah. But then you have I, to buy I'm a Mac, cool. which, you know, costs How do you like process a million dollars. Yeah. Yeah, putting the right reverb on there. Yeah, but you know, having said all that, again, it was a very enjoyable song, and the subject matter is very interesting. Sure, it's violent and gory, but but I like how it's also presented, you know, in this lighthearted, you know, what shall we do with a drunken sailor type celebratory kind of shanty, 
you know, to have this dark, dark material presented <laughs> in such a light hearted way is I, I kind of like that, um, you know, the dichotomy. Yep. Right. The four busts, the four busts in the uh, haunted mansion. They're singing four part harmony. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, whatever, whatever evil song they're singing. It sure sounds nice. <laughs> yeah, it's fun. They're having fun in limbo or hell or whatever. All right, but yeah, uh, this this is also even though I just complained about the instruments, this is one of those that I voted for because I thought it was neat. Yeah, I also thought it was neat. <laughs> neat, neat, neat. <laughs> what every songwriter wants to hear. Your song is <laughs> neat. Here's Re-neat a pat on the get head. A, get a better Casio. Please <laughs> <laughs> so, upgrade your Casio for memes. Yes. This may be why we have like five listeners. <laughs> <laughs> Because we don't have a thesaurus. Your song was neat. Yeah, congratulations on a full week of work. You get neat. Neat. Four letters. Yeah. Oh, well. Well, well let's, uh, are we ready to move on? Let's move on. All right. Up next, we've got Low Jinx. just come out and say it i think this was just done wrong uh i think the voice is not clear in the mix and the narration isn't uh, engaging because it's so low in the mix like it's it's well not just because it's low in the mix but also because it's like the there's not a lot of inflection going on there's not or at least not enough so you know i don't need him to do you know different voices and uh you know get hysterical at any point or anything like that but you know even though this isn't entirely monotone it's pretty close and the delivery is too fast and too difficult to understand um and you two would know better than me but there's like in there's there's got to be something like this overly obvious noise gate on that vocal track too because like you can hear it at the very end where oh for sure at the spookiest moment you definitely hear it yeah yeah it's like all kind of hissy and stuff like that uh, and then he he breaks for just a, a comma or something and then it's just completely empty and then it's kind of hissy again when he's speaking um, but yeah yeah that yeah, may have been that... intentional too because that is the exact Ooh. moment when the narrator becomes a ghost and so it's like sort of fading out of existence that way I don't know it was um, I, I felt the same thing like if absent the lyrics in front of me, I would have not been able to have understood this song. And I think it was written like as a you know a piece of written work, and it's great at that because it has a lot of parenthetical comments, and it was very well written. But it wasn't written for music, and like yeah. I feel like a, not a lot of thought was put into like how the the words and the music would mesh together. It's just like they sort of pasted a recording of what was written on top of some music without a lot of thought for how the words would land. 
Oh yeah, as a, as a ghost story, it's a fine. Read. Oh, it's a great ghost story. It's yeah. like I was like all about the romantic story, and if these two lovers were going to make up over their spat, you know, and when the guy turned into a ghost at the last minute, I was like, whoa, that's that's effective. It's scary, <laughs> you know, and it, like the way it was done was written well, but it just it didn't really mesh with the music well. Yeah, yeah. I'm not sure much to add to that. I I. <laughs> My first comment was, what what, do you, what would you call this, right? Is it spoken word? Is it mumblecore rap? Like, where does it fall <laughs> for you in the spectrum of genre? Yeah, I, th- I, I think it's spoken word for sure. I think it's spoken an audio word. book with too loud music behind it. You know, it's another, you know, collage. Is, this, is it a, like a tape collage? One of your tapes is, you know, Edgar Allan Poe reading The Raven, and you just put a bunch of like, weird sounds under it yeah 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 and that's something we should talk about too which is the the background music i think if you are going to do something like this then you have a lot of freedom with what to do with the background music because i imagine it's supposed to be generally unobtrusive but i mean if you can make it more or less anything 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 that you want then i i it seems like this was maybe uh, it seemed a little improvisational and somewhat uninteresting. And again, if if that's on purpose to make it unobtrusive, then I totally get it. Yeah. Or if it was haphazard to make it spookier in some way. Yeah. Or if he was just doodling around, noodling around on his uh, keyboards. To <laughs> I have no idea. But I mean, that's kind of what it sounds like. He was just noodling around and and you know again if this this kind of would give you the freedom to do kind of whatever you want to do in the background as long as it's somewhat non-obtrusive and this is you know this is not as interesting as a uh negative land background it's not as interesting as a laurie anderson background it is not as interesting as you know william s burroughs and kurt cobain for example yeah 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 Right, and neither is the vocal delivery so um, engaging that you forget about what's going on behind it. I thought yeah. it was a speech synthesizer, like text to speech, and if it, but because it, it doesn't sound like Johnny Cashpoint's sung voice, but I, I can also just believe it was Johnny Cashpoint narrating. I'm sure <laughs> it was Johnny Cashpoint, but yeah. I mean, the other thing is like, could either of you get through this and understand it without also reading the posted lyrics? No. No. no, no, me neither. Yeah, so I, it's not just me. It's it was the mixing was bad. Yeah, no, and I, and I mean, good on good on YouTube for reading them because I hear a song like this and I'm like, okay, next. Like I'm not going to be like, is there something I missed in this that's really worth it? Let me go on the boards and check the lyrics. Yeah, I to to be perfectly honest, I might not have if if it weren't for this podcast. Yeah, mm-hmm. I definitely wouldn't have unless I had to talk. You know, talk about it. Yeah, yeah. Because nothing's worse than spending a week on something and people don't even, you know, try to understand what you're doing. Oh, there's something worse. There he is. Having your hands hacked off with chisel and hammer, for example. Yeah. No, that's not as bad as this. Uh, What's worse is uh, spending a week on something and having people not understand it and yet still comment on it. (laughs) So if you written or in podcast form, if we had not... (laughs) Well, that happens and all we, the time. And yet, you know, spoke at length about the flaws in this thing that we didn't pay attention to or understand. 
I, you know, and I'm sure that happens to like uh, Berkeley social scene and Paco and other people who are, you know, very good musicians to have people on the boards who are not just, you know, come out and criticize their musicianship. I'm sure that's something that happens fairly frequently. Is this the first low jinx song we've heard from Johnny Cashpoint? Is this like a new thing or is this, are there other songs? Do we know? I think this I'm is not... the first time. Yeah, we can seeing it in the archive. So this might be. You know, this could be a one-off. Maybe this is a new thing for, for him, and that could be cool, too. Yeah. Right? Like, one of the things, you know, just going, this is a huge callback to where we started, right? People used to be mean, but you would improve from that, right? If you were trying to do something and make it better, right? Johnny Cashpoint could listen to us making all these criticisms and say, next week, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do better, right? I'm going to tell the story better. I'm going to back it up with the music better. Or he might say this was a failed experiment, and I'm going to go back to <laughs> my other successful approaches. I know anything about he, Johnny Cashpoint. He never fails. Yeah. <laughs> I have a feeling he just thinks these fucking idiots don't understand greatness. Yeah. <laughs> They'll catch up to me eventually. <laughs> or, look, when I, put in, when I put in a weird song that I don't tell anybody about that it's me, like, and I don't post the lyrics, and I just... Like, I want people to be like, what the fuck is wrong with this song? <laughs> I, oh, man, I can't imagine a better segue. <laughs> Speaking of what the fuck is wrong with this song, next up, we've got Jerkatorium. Oh, worst song in the fight. Oh, oh terrible. <laughs> so, so, so neat. I mean, I would choose one word to describe Jerkatorium. Neat. Sweet. It would be neat. <laughs> it was a pretty neat song. Yeah. I mean, I, I thought you gentlemen did great this week, as, as you always do, writing lovely pop songs. I, you know, I didn't go through and read the lyrics, which now I feel terrible about. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, my my main criticism, the thing that kind of took me out of you know what was otherwise I think a very enjoyable song was that the guitar sounded just a little bit too processed, maybe for lack of a better term. Like in my mind, I'm like, which amp sim is that? I think I have it. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know. That was my biggest criticism of you this week uh, that I just didn't love the sound of the guitars. I thought it didn't sound real real enough for lack of a better maybe a better way to describe it. It just really sounded like a preset that wasn't the best choice. That's fair. Yeah, that's fair. They would definitely. What was your creative favorite. process this week? Tell me all about how this song came into being. Well, first of all, I want to say that I'm happy that, that you didn't catch what I caught after we'd submitted it, which was, and I mean, I, I might be wrong about this, but uh, you know, my problem was that, you know, and forgive me if I'm mistaken, Chumpy, but uh, I believe that I forgot to put any effects on the drums so we have like all of these instruments and vocals and everything, which are very weird and reverby. I, it's completely my fault. Afterwards, I was listening to it and I'm going, the drums sound flat because I didn't do anything, anything, anything with the drums. And I was oh. like, okay, so I thought that stuck out after a while, but maybe that's just me. 
Is that is that right? We didn't do anything special. Not with the a drums? thing. They're they're just yeah. as fake and canned as they usually are. Yeah, my yeah, my own really, damn fault. Yeah. They're really low in the mix too, so it's hard to tell that you didn't do anything because you can't hear them. Right. Okay, that's good. But I mean, I mean, sure. At least we didn't put too much, you know, delay or something on it. But uh, <laughs> but yeah, no. Okay, so uh, I, I, what was the point of putting all the reverb on this song? Oh yes. Uh, it was sort of to Jesus and Mary chainify it. Um, and also because we wanted to lean into the spookiness of it. And it was, it, we also, I, what I wanted was to provide kind of a, you know, to make it sound spooky and yet the inherent sort of melody of it is kind of happy ish and have that kind of, yeah. that weird sort of interplay. But I don't know. Do, do you want to start off, Chumpy, or should I? Just yeah. Keep on well, I mean, when Ryan gave me the demo of the song, I immediately was like, oh my God, this is the Jesus and Mary chain. And I remember, <laughs> like, in college in the late 80s, when we first heard Never Understand by the Jesus and Mary chain, we were, like, kind of blown away by this, you know, waves of, like, fuzz and feedback and just, you know, a pop song, but done just super dirty and muddy. And, um, like, I think they were proto shoegaze. So, like, they mm -hmm. undoubtedly inspired bands like My Bloody Valentine, who came a little bit later and then broke it big. But I don't think the Jesus and Mary Chain were ever very popular over here. Um, but I was like, God, Ryan, you nailed that sound. And so, like, just the fuzzier and, like, and the vocals are supposed to be kind of low in the mix. And just it just sounds, like, dirty and fuzzy and, like bad but somehow it works yeah. <laughs> yeah and then the the tricks with the uh, uh what do you call them the feedback crescendos yeah and stuff like those that. those are like re those are reverse swells on feedback right yeah yeah, yeah. And, I, and i think a lot of it's fake i'm sure uh, I, I just did whatever i want i needed to do to get it up to that sort of a thing and i'm sure i st I, I also know that i stole some feedback from some of our previous recordings and i put it on there. <laughs> nice uh, just cause you know, it's, I, I, I do say, you know, when you're recording songs for song fight to, to fuck your neighbors, but it's, it's easy to say that, but then when you're, you know, trying to get something down at 11 PM and you know, you're going to have to crank your amplifier up, uh, to get some terrible distorted feedback and you're like you know i shouldn't do this and and i don't <laughs> it's, you know? you know, it's so really it's like, hard to get feedback sounds in the box like there's yes. just not a way to simulate that yeah yeah i don't think it's possible i hear you well it's uh throw an outro of this song why why the sort of extra extra parts oh i like the rain i, I thought it was i mean this kind of wet a layer uh this uh, literally wet layer i thought i i just kind of liked it i also kind of thought that it added some spookiness you know again leaning into the spookiness aspect of it and i had it and i thought it sounded good as a as an effect so that was tacked on i'll admit it uh but it just seemed like it also kind of melded in with the um with the general kind of distorted muddiness of uh of the track so just another layer of a hiss, <laughs> another yeah. layer of distortion, uh, and you know, so to to wade through to try and get to you know the harmony vocals. It's a wet, mucky island. Yeah. <laughs> I also liked uh, a lot of your chord changes. I thought there were some really interesting and unique, good 
uh, chord changes. Where where was your inspiration for that this week? You know, I wanted to do even more of that. Now, now that I'm thinking about it, but we ran out of time. But I wanted to do some um, some basically more kind of Sonic Youth sounding stuff in there. And I did have some kind of idea about Sonic Youth that way uh, because they they kind of do these things where they'll you know they'll have this sort of uh, a flow of the um, chord progression, and then they'll just take this one part and just kind of take it off to the side a little bit and and uh do a, a chromatic sort of uh I, i'm I, it doesn't matter this is also because <laughs> it didn't make it into the song it kind of doesn't matter but i, I think maybe uh some of that idea probably came from a, a bit of sonic youth but um I'll, lyrically i should mention that i stole that rhyme scheme and some of the imagery in the lyrics from jb's summer changes jb had posted the lyrics on the boards and the rhyme scheme just just haunted me for years because I, I i'm looking at this you have a seven line stand three seven line stanzas yeah and that's you know that's interesting that's the okay. that's the rhyme scheme you're talking about yeah kind of there's some internal rhymes in there too that's part of this scheme i think exactly exactly and that's kind of something that uh that i like and that i think adds to the kind of general flow of the song and and uh, certainly did with Summer Changes by JB. And I was mm. like, this is something I have to steal. And I finally did. So <laughs> very, very, very happy to, to have a chance to do that. Um, we were going to add a chorus, uh, sort of never got around to it. Um, part of it was we ran out of time, but also we realized that the it would make the song probably a full minute longer if we did. And, and less like Jesus and Mary Chain. Yeah. Yeah, maybe. Right, because you have all the good instrumental parts in there that really gives it that vibe. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we were we, and that's part of it. We were thinking about maybe shortening the instrumental bits or removing the instrumental bit and uh, replacing it with the uh, the chorus. And the chorus, the the lyrics weren't bad, but I, I think that we ended up with the right song. And four minutes is a little bit taxing on people's ears if it's just a bunch of mud. Yeah, and feedback. I'm just going to say that it's uh, it would have made it less neat. Okay. <laughs> okay. I'm glad to hear that <laughs> because I've always kind of been wondering, should we have done that or should it? Yeah, it doesn't matter, but it's 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 all in the past now. But uh, it's a different turn for Jerkatorium. Uh, I doubt this is going to be a trend, but at least now we're open to, you know, something like this. Is that it? Should we move on? Do we have more to talk about? That's it. Let's talk about Berkeley social scene. Terrible, terrible band. <laughs> uh, I think th- this song hits its vibe within the first few seconds uh, with the sort of Dorsey verse and um, 
not Dorsey, but Dor Doors like verse. Yes. Um, then you get slammed with a power chorus, which hits hard and just and works just great. Um, and I think the bridge. Uh, I know you have sort of two bridges, uh, which is neat and fun. Um, the first bridge is a little Dr. Susie, but I, it effectively <laughs> kind of. Am I wrong? No, you're not wrong. Okay. I think it's, right. I think the intention was more like classic cartoon. It's all tritone, right? That's a very Glenn like cerebral choice of music. Well, no, it was it was not not the not the not the music, but I think the, the rhyme the scheme, like also. Yeah. Was, they were ex- hair, hair. Yeah, exact you know. rhymes and um, underwear. <laughs> I remember. <laughs> yeah, lyrically, I. So you're right. Musically, there's a very Doors vibe, right? It's very Riders of the Storm. Uh, in my mind, when I was writing the lyrics for this song, I was thinking Weezer's Island in the Sun, and of course Monster Mash. Oh yeah, <laughs> that's good. Yeah, yeah. I think it was it was a lot of fun and. Uh, I, I didn't. I, I shouldn't stress that Dr. Susie part, but because it kind of like comes and goes, but it also adds, you know, a little bit more lightheartedness to the song. But anyhow, um, and it effectively breaks up the song a little bit and provides some extra variety. Yeah. And then the guitar solo is excellent, and it's followed by that second bridge, uh, which kind of veers back into lightheartedness, spookiness, before uh, it goes back to those great choruses and. You know, again, lyrically, it gets a little intentionally comical here and there, which uh, might be a little at odds with the feel of the chorus, but is good in the song regardless. Um, of course, you know, Jerkatorium also did a submission to this fight. I know the challenge of finding good rhymes for the word island <laughs> and that unstressed last syllable. You know, there's a lot of slant rhymes that, that you can use for that, but still that unstressed last syllable in island is not ideal and that carries over to the rhymes and slant rhymes so i'm kind of giving all songs a pass on on that sort of thing but this song make, takes a great advantage of the six syllable stressed and unstressed pattern of cemetery island you know so you got the stressed unstressed stressed unstressed stressed unstressed uh, in in a row like that and i think that your song takes advantage of that uh, more or you know, maybe the only one who does it in this that takes advantage of that pattern, which is brilliant, really. Yeah, um, that was all, all Glenn. Glenn did all the all the vocal melodies this time around, so he just okay. that, that praise. There's there's a couple instances of syllable cramming in the verses, uh, but all in all, yeah. a wonderful song <laughs> sounds great. Oh. Met the optional spooky challenge uh, very very well. Uh, you know, like five stars out of five for me. Uh, and I was happy to hear it every time it popped up and uh, I'm happy to vote for it. Oh. So Thanks. now the, what I need to know is what is the electric organ patch that you're using? Because it sounds amazing. Uh, that's so <laughs> this this is a good example of kind of how Berkeley Social Scene often makes a song, which is uh, the song itself was written as a trio. So Thursday night, I show up and Glenn and Geech, so Glenn is playing bass on this song and Geech is playing the drums and they had sort of had that first bass riff that opens the song and I came in and they, to play guitar and they wanted, you know, spooky tremolo guitar and so, you know, immediately put us in that Rhodes thing. But 
you have kind of a, a tension between where the guitar is at and what the, where the bass is at. They're kind of in two different keys. Um, and, you know, we kind of reconcile that and we, we finish up this whole song, you know, and you basically have this trio, you know, one guitar, one bass and drums, um, which Glenn kind of sends out and he had done the vocals. And then it was just over the weekend, there was time for some overdubs. So what you're then hearing is Sam jumping in on additional guitar and a B3 patch from, you know, whatever VST plugin he has, it probably sounds awesome. Uh, I came up with a bunch of different pads as well, because you you needed to start yeah. building variety amongst the, the parts, right? Um, and then I, then I added the backing vocals as well that I think really helped. And, you know, Glenn having a good, solid vocal melody allowed for good, solid vocal harmonies. I think you guys do that really well, too. So the the you know the b3 sound is some b3 plugin and sam could probably tell you exactly which one it was uh, interesting i thought i was thought i was trying to be funny because i thought for sure you guys actually had a b3 or something in the space because <laughs> it sounds so good um like those... even if we did we'd probably be using a plugin because we have a real roads at the space and you're often hearing programmed roads oh interesting yeah, yeah. i just assumed that it was uh glennie's uh b3 guitar pedal <laughs> but, no. but oh it sounds so good like and it's you know it's just little stabs in the verses and like i i really appreciate dynamics because it, it was something that took me a while to really understand i feel like a lot of uh, early jerkatorium songs are pretty much static the whole way through in terms of volume but like it sounds like on the on the verses like you just get little organ stabs and you get some sort of rhythm guitar chanks with that really cool like tremolo effect on the guitar, no, on the rhythm guitar. No, that's real. That's a real guitar amp playing, making real trem, right? That's uh, it sounds really good. Deluxe. Um, yeah. And then at the chorus, it just opens up, right? Like the electric organ lays down some heavy chords and then the drums get bigger and the fuzz guitar comes in. It's just a really nice pop on the chorus, which I... I always appreciate it. it just sounds great the organ was just something that really captured my ears and it gives it that whole doorsy writers on the storm sound that whole 60s psych thing which is really impressive that you guys just nailed that sound thanks the dynamics is something i think we're always working on because you know, we get there and it's pretty easy to come up with a couple of parts where you're like okay this is our verses our chorus how do you turn that into a song right so it's talking about how do you build how do you start What's an intro? How, where does it go? How does this verse differentiate from the next verse? Um, and these are the things that probably, aside from just because we track most of the stuff live and we try to do it right all the way through, takes the most time when we are in our, you know, our recording session, making just some chords and some beats and, you know, rhythms into a song that has dynamics. Yeah, it, it definitely worked here. Um, yeah. Also, that that trem effect is just amazing. And one one of the things I really loved about Glennie's solo is that he plays the solo right, and then as the solo ends and it goes into the next section, like it bleeds into the next section, like I feel like he punches something on a pedal board, and then that trem comes back in, and the final notes of the of the solo have that cool trem. And maybe there's a modulation effect there too, but it's just, it's really tasty the way that's done. Like, I really love how the tremolo was used throughout the entire song. Like you hear it in the outro too. 
And you and yeah. I think Geach does something cool on the cymbals, like right at the end. And then you hear like a cough <laughs> happening at the end. So it's like, hey, you're, I'm here with the band, you know, in the recording <laughs> session. It's just, it was so fucking cool. Yeah, there's a lot of that. Uh, I think all the trem is real. I think that was me turning it on and off at those times. So I'm just going to give myself credit, even if Glenn <laughs> did as well. Uh, and there's also in that sort of section where it breaks back down for a second. Like I even, there's a wrong chord in there that Glenn kept because he really liked it, which I think adds to all of what you're talking about, this sort of like, you know, vibe and dynamic. Yeah. Also, it, at the end of each line in the in the spoken word bridge, there's like this really cool, like, combined bass and guitar trill sound that is also just like it punctuates each line which i think is super cool yeah this like yeah. there was a lot to listen to and i have a lot of notes on like just all of the ear candy and the arrangement but this is you know just some pro shit here <laughs> i mean i think we just got lucky that people had time to keep working on it you know it's sometimes we have two hours sometimes we have a little bit more and this song definitely benefited from you know, a few of us having some extra time on the weekend to do more. Glennie's um, vocals also sound pretty good. Like his doubles are, they're super tight and everything is on pitch. It's like, nice. Like, yeah, he's getting real good with the auto tune. You, you gotta be. <laughs> like if you're, if you're like me and you're not a great vocalist, like you really gotta auto tune the shit out of yourself in a way that makes you sound competent, which is... You know, <laughs> and he, you know, he is a good vocalist, but you know, I think we're all at the point where, you know, getting from whatever it would be, you know, 75% to 90% really makes a difference. Yeah, it really does. Yeah. Especially since that's what, you know, people listen to. Like, I think if you yeah. were, if the vocals were a little bit squishy and all over the place in that song, I think it would have just killed it. And I think, I think bad vocals kill a lot of songs. Oh, song fight. Yeah, <laughs> those kill a lot of songs. <laughs> yeah, and it's it's kind of extraordinary how they must not hear it, you know. And I, I'm saying they because, you know, before I release any like of my own backing vocals or anything, I pitch correct the hell out of every goddamn note. So uh, you know, whenever I hear a song, I'm not going to call out anybody. I'm not going to name any names. <laughs> but whenever I hear something that's uh, obviously out of tune, I'm kind of like, you know. You could have made another take. Uh, you could have pitch corrected this. Uh, there's all of these different options. Fix but it. Instead, you're, this is this is your legacy. <laughs> 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 Something that's not a quarter tone, but a full uh, <laughs> a full note sharp or flat. Yeah, I think people just not everybody has Melodyne, right? Or not everybody knows <laughs> that there are amazing tools for for making your vocals sound better. But again, not, not everybody has Melodyne, but everybody has a second take. That is true. <laughs> that is That's, You are assuming true. that 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 they're trying. I, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I feel that people sometimes they don't. You're right. They don't hear it. They still think it's right. Like they hear it is right, even though we all would hear it is wrong. Um, and multiple takes, they just keep doing the same thing over and over again, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So wait, so wait. Now let's back up here a little bit. You 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 kind of echoed something that Sam said when we had him on, that yeah, I, I assume that people are trying. So I think I didn't get it back then, and I still don't get that. Do you think that like people are? I, I yeah, I guess I don't. Uh, could you expand on that a little bit? <laughs> well, let's see. 
Well, I, mean, I mean, if it was just yeah. snarkiness, then that's cool. But no, I think, no, but no, since I do. both you and Sam said it, I'm like, okay, wait, there's something actually going on here. What is it? I, well, Sam and I have collaborated with a lot of people, right? Both together and individually. So you start to learn, people don't all hear things the same. So you okay. might hear something as being wrong. And you ask the person like, does this note sound right to you in, in the context of what you're singing? And they're going to say, yes. Oh. And then you have to decide, are they so far creative that I'm not at that level? Or are they completely deaf? You know, are they tone deaf and just don't know or don't care? So oh. the spectrum of what 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 is right, right? What you or I might think as the producer of a track or a songwriter in our own music might say is right or wrong. Somebody else might have a different opinion and, you know, on, on a, on an ego day, I might be like, no, you're wrong. Other times, Hey, this is your song, not mine. Gotcha. Sing, sing what you want to sing, sing what you feel, man. Yeah. And so, um, that comes up in Berkeley social scene a bit. I think that's why you hear from both Sam and I, um, and people will go to great lengths to justify how their note fits into the chord. <laughs> <laughs> okay all right it's a sharp yeah. nine you idiot come on <laughs> and then you have then it's 20 minutes lost to well no it's not a sharp nine it's really a flat eight you know or whatever <laughs> you know like so you got to pick your battle sometimes yeah. um and also you say whatever and then when you go home you just tune into whatever note you think is right yeah yeah and you know sometimes singers what they bring to the table is feeling and emotion and sort of attitude and you know the pitches are not always perfect and they don't have to be they they just sort of carry the song even if even if it's not necessarily diatonic or whatever um i'll bring up martin because like I feel like for when Martin is singing in Berkeley social scene, there's always going to be a handful of bum notes, but there's always going to be just a ton of attitude, and that like yeah. you know carries the song. Yeah, one of my favorite things to do in Berkeley social scene is have Martin do like a scratch track, and then and then I'll go home and straighten that out and resing it, <laughs> right? Because there's like great ideas there, right? And there's great passion. You're like, oh right. If it was these notes, it would make sense to me. <laughs> yeah. I, um, I, I, I totally feel like Martin could be a front man for any band. He's just like, he's got that swag. Oh, yeah. And he, he has the thing that I think a lot of people lack, which is when he approaches the mic, he brings 110% to it, right? He is, he is emoting. He is giving everything he's got to do those vocal takes, which is why, you know, sometimes he runs, he just runs out of energy, right? Yep. He'll wear out his voice trying to like, you know, give it his all. But the thing I wanted to bring up related to what you were saying is I always regret the times where you have a vocal take that is not perfect, but has the right energy and feel. And the vocalist says, no, I need it to be perfect and does it again. And it's more technical, but lacks all that feel. Yeah. I always regret that more than I regret a note that, yeah, it's not perfect, but everything else about it is right. And you know that that note may only linger for like 20 milliseconds. It's like, and then the listener is on to the next series of notes. Not all notes are important. <laughs> no, and not everybody hears it, right? We have much finer ears than the average listener. Yeah. And we're listening specifically. Most people don't listen with the kind of detail that musicians listen with. If they're listening to at all. <laughs> uh, especially to their own 
efforts. Yeah. So, yeah. And you know, when you're new, it takes a lot of work just to create a song, just to get all of the arrangements and done and all of the pieces fit together and have it, you know, have a start, a middle and an end. Like, you know, that can be overwhelming for people. Like, and I know when I first started, I was just happy if I could actually make a song. Like, for the longest time, I was wondering if it was ever going to happen. So, like, you know, there's, there's, there's totally different levels. Like, you can just be happy that you got a song out. And if every note in the vocal line is not perfect, well, that's something you can work on later. And it's song by, right? Some people really respect the deadline. I know I used to. <laughs> before you became chummy with the fight master yeah. yeah well you know like when i started you it was really like there is a deadline and regardless of of how good the song is it has to hit it yeah you know and even though you then wait two weeks to have the songs posted you felt like i felt like that deadline was real and i'd be up all night trying to meet it um yeah, and, and yeah sometimes you have to let a, a wrong note here or there go because you don't have time to to do another take or whatever yeah. yeah yeah us too and i mean the deadline is magical the, i mean i i've said this before we wouldn't do anything without a deadline uh Jimmy yeah. and i it's yeah. like and we we've mentioned also like in side fights if they have a side fight posted that there's no deadline to then it's never gonna happen yeah it's never gonna happen we're still waiting like, on yeah. that tom petty side fight that's right because because <laughs> jb was no like for that. we shouldn't have a deadline yeah. I'm calling you and out, there JB. Was, there was a more <laughs> recent one with uh, uh, an artist who, we're not going to name the artist, but they wanted to take his uh, titles and make, uh, you know, a better natured sort of, I don't know, so so that you could feel good about these titles sort of thing by this artist who is spiraling uh, these days into right-wing nuttiness. Um, is it Smash Mouth? Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, 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 no. But, uh, but anyhow, uh, that also has no, I, I think it has no hosting and it has no uh, deadline. So nobody's done anything for it. And that's been weeks and weeks and weeks, I think already. Yeah. And so, you know, deadlines are not a magical panacea that makes people, you know, own up to their commitments, but it's the best thing we have. Yeah. It, otherwise, right. why? And it's the magic, it's the magic combination of song fight, right? A prompt and a deadline. Yeah, Some feedback. When Colin created Song Fight, knowing that those were the two things you needed most is why we're still here 20 whatever years later. Yeah. I, yeah. And I, I, I put feedback in that too, because hmm. you're, you're going to get, uh, you, you know, that you have uh, an audience. You know that people uh, that you don't know uh, are going to be listening to this, and some of them are going to be reviewing it and giving you feedback on it. And that in itself is valuable. You know, you're not just you know doing something and posting it and uh, getting Russian bots to click on it. <laughs> now that would be a whole other songwriting competition. All Russian bots. <laughs> Song fight title Pravda. Uh, <laughs> Your social security number. <laughs> Your mother's made a name. Must optional, non-optional challenges. <laughs> all right, guys. I think we're done. Congratulations. Well, we made it through all the songs. Hey, yeah. thanks for having me. This was fun. Yeah. Um, do you want to, let's see. So do you have anything coming up or anything that's going to be released that you want to plug here? 
Um, uh, yeah, no, no plugs. Um, you know, go back and, and check out Berkeley Social Scene's uh, record, whatever it's called. Now it escapes me. Uh, but it's a good record, right? It's a bunch of song fight songs. Sam spent a hell of a long time uh, making it sound good. We're real proud of it. And they could find it on? Everything. Uh, okay. All the streaming. Embarrassing. It's been a couple years now, but it's still real good. Okay. Um, and, you know, keep keep doing song fight, everybody. Tell your friends about it. I like... You know, one of the one of the things I'm most proud of is the people that I brought into Songfight, right? My old camp counselor, Ross Durand, <laughs> is a great example of someone that came to Songfight because of me. Wow. Um, so the best thing anyone can do about Songfight is to talk about it and tell everyone how great it is and encourage people you know who are songwriters to, to play the game. And I'm always surprised because we invite a lot of people to come play with Berkeley Social Scene. Not everybody enjoys this game. So it's special when you find someone who does. But again, I would just encourage anybody who's listening to tell tell two friends about Songfight this week. See what happens. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah, I know that listenership I think is a little bit down for Songfight right now. Maybe people are you know gearing up for the holidays or whatever. But it just seems like the activity on the boards is a little bit stagnant. I agree. I think also it's a bit diffuse right now that there's a Discord and Slack. You know, it's not all focused in one place. And I think you kind of see that. That doesn't affect listenership, um, but it affects community. (laughs) I'm on the Discord, the Slack, and the IRC channel. So I've got, if anybody says talk shit about us on any of those, Ryan, I got us covered. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, any any dissent, get them banned. (laughs) Anyone calls you meat, you let me know. I'll go to my sides. All right. All right, guys. I think I can hear the outro music playing. All right. Well, wait. Any quick shout outs? Uh, I'll, I'll do mine. Okay. Uh, shout out uh, to my husband. Uh, thank you for your love and support and patience. Um, shout out to Brian and Alan. Uh, Brian, without whom Jerkatorium would not exist. Uh, shout out to Ken for joining us. Thank you so much for taking your time and, uh, and giving your insight and. Uh, telling us the story of Ken and Berkeley social scene and all that stuff and giving us some history. Um, and, uh, and yeah, I think that's it for me. So yeah. So in terms of my shout outs, I would just like to shout out everyone who reviews. So thank you to Paco and our mosquito for reviewing this fight. And uh, if you do have a song in this fight, I would encourage you to write reviews. Tell us about your song. You can tell us about your song and what you thought of all of our songs. So if you're in the fight, please review. That is my pitch, and thank you to everyone who does. Uh, my shout-outs are to you guys. Thank you for inviting me and um, being strong members of the Songfight community. It's been great to see you in person occasionally. It's been great to hear all of your music. Uh, shout-out to all my bandmates in Berkeley Social Scene um, and all the auxiliary folks that come and join us, all of my other bandmates, <laughs> everyone. <laughs> There's a lot of them. That's a long list. I should have thought about it. Um, but you know, also my, my lovely wife and our cats and dog who I took time away to make me. Oh, and my mom who voted a thousand times for my <laughs> first entry in rock bottom. And because of that win, I'm still here. Yay. <laughs> Go mom. <laughs> <laughs>